every sports team is continually looking for a way to increase their home court advantage or field advantage and to make it increasingly hard for the visiting team. For years, it was rumored that Viking officials would be bringing artificial sound into the Metrodome to make it hard for the visiting team. Now, every loyal Vikings fan would deny that that ever happened, but it's possible, right? It's possible. Well, the students at Arizona State University, the basketball fans there, have taken this home court advantage to a whole new level. Um, They recently, within the last five years, three years, have invented or came up with something that they've called the curtain of distraction. The curtain of distraction. So, so here's what, ha- what happens. In the second half, the visiting team is shooting on the end of the court where the student section is. And they've got this curtain there in the student section, and it stays closed for all of the game except when the opposing team has a player who's coming to the free throw line. And as he's at the free throw line, probably bouncing the ball a little bit and really concentrating on what needs to happen, which is to make a free throw. Just in that moment, they open up the curtains and something appears to hopefully distract them. And so you just never know what's going to be behind the curtain of distraction. Um, It might be Elvis. Uh, They had a Donald Trump impersonator. Um, There are students that dress up as barnyard animals and power rangers and even the little mermaid. Um, One time there was a a woman, a a student, who dressed up as an elderly lady with a cane and started yelling at the free throw shooter to get off her lawn. You know, that would be distracting. One time, I think he's an alumnus, uh, ASU alumnus, gold medal winning um, swimmer, Michael Phelps shows up, like the real deal Michael Phelps shows up behind the curtain of distraction. And let me tell you, um, according to statistics, it's worked. Since they've used the curtain of distraction, opposing teams make 10% less free throws than they used to before it. And here's why. When you're really focusing on something, when you're concentrating on something, one of the worst things that can happen to accomplish what you're focusing on, whether it's shooting a free throw or whatever, is distraction. And what is true for free throws, my friends, is also true for every area of life. In fact, I'm going to say it this way today. This is kind of the statement that we're going to sort of, you know, look at chapter six through the lens of. It's our first fill-in for today. That a powerful enemy in your life is distraction. One of the most powerful enemies in your life is one that you don't think about as much because it's very subtle. It's not as, you know, out in the open as a curtain revealing Elvis, okay? Distraction is a subtle but powerful enemy in our lives. And chapter 6 of Nehemiah, which we're going to look at, 
is going to not only bring that truth to the surface, but also help us better understand what to do with it and how to fight against it. Now, I realize that not all of you have been here for all of the series. And so I just think it's important for me to give just like a a three, four sentence background to Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is a man, a Jew, who lived in the 400s BC. And he had been a cupbearer or a wine taster for King Artaxerxes of the kingdom or the country, the nation of Persia. Now, while Nehemiah was doing his job as cupbearer, it came to his attention that the walls of his homeland and its capital, Jerusalem, the walls were in disrepair. And he had it on his heart, and we'll come to find throughout the book that the Lord is the one who put that on his heart. He had it on his heart to make sure to help rebuild those walls, to be the leader of it, to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah was in charge of a building project, which has been very applicable for us because we, Bethlehem, are at the very beginning of a building project. And so far in this series, over the first five weeks, I think it's been very clarifying and focusing for us, whether you're a member of Bethlehem or a guest, of focus and the mission and the vision of this congregation and really of every church or of every group of Christians, what we should be about and what we should be focusing on. This week in chapter six, it's a little bit different. And here's why. We're not going to be talking as much or applying this as much to the group as a whole, but instead we're going to be concentrating on the focus of individuals on the personal focus of people that make up churches or just that are. This is a message that instead of applying it collectively, we're going to be applying it personally, every single one of us. All about distraction. Now, before we get to chapter 6, let me give you some specific background about this particular chapter so it all makes a a little more sense. Um, So Nehemiah in chapter 6 and the people of Jerusalem are really, really close to getting the wall done. In fact, it's going to say that all they needed to do was kind of put the gates into the walls. Otherwise, the building project is over except for that. And still in the area are some leaders of other nations who would rather this wall not happen. Um, Two of them we've come into for the last three weeks. Their names are Sanballat and Tobiah. Um, And there's another one we're going to meet. His name is Geshem. Now, the reason why they did not like this project is that they knew that Jerusalem with a wall would be more powerful than Jerusalem without a wall. So they were going to do whatever they could to put a monkey wrench into the completion of this wall. In fact, in chapter 4, we learned how Tobiah and Sanballat sort of devised this plan where if anyone was caught building on the wall, that they were going to be killed or murdered. And we walked through how that didn't happen and what to learn from it. But these are the types of guys Sanballat and Tobiah are or were. In chapter 6, they're realizing that the wall is almost done and they're going to use a different tactic. Do you know what it is? Curtain of distraction. 
they're going to distract Nehemiah. Because they believe that if they can distract the leader, or really, for that matter, anyone individually, the entire group, the entire nation will be harmed and hopefully the wall won't get built. So with that introduction, let's go to Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. Here we go. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I, Nehemiah, had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, verse 2, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, Nehemiah, let's meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Now, in that first verse, there was the word together. I think that, that word is really key. Let's meet together. In the Hebrew, it gives you the, the flavor that this was intended to be, at least what Nehemiah heard from them, a friendly meeting. So essentially, here's what message that Sanballat and Geshem were trying to get across to Nehemiah. This is what they wanted him to think. So Nehemiah... Um, I know we haven't always got along. There was that old, you know, trying to kill your people thing. You know, hopefully you kind of forgot about that. Um, But now that it looks like the wall's almost completed, it looks like we're going to be neighbors. So I'd like to get this friendship off to a a better foot or a better start than, you know, what had happened in the past. Um, I know of a good caribou down on the plains of Ono. Um, I'm buying if you want to meet because I think we've got some things to, to talk about and we could be good friends, good buds. That's what they were hoping. Now, Nehemiah either was tipped off of what they were really up to or just being a leader, he had certain intuition about what they were up to. And verse 3 goes this way. But Sanballat and Geshem were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project. I can't get off the wall. I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Verse 4. Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. What was the answer? Well, it's here up on the screen. I'm carrying on a great project, and I cannot go down. I'm carrying on a great project, and I can't be distracted. I'm carrying on a great project, and I can't get off the wall. In fact, this statement is so key, and it's one that I hope, if anything you take away from this message, you just remember this statement. It's so important that I want you to say it with me. Ready? I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Now, there, this is what we're going to talk about. Nehemiah doesn't just say, I'm carrying on a project. What does he say? I'm carrying on a great project. A great project is not just a project. It's not just a good project. It is a a great project. So we got to say it again, and you got to emphasize that, all right? It's a great project, all right? Can you do that? First service did amazingly well, just saying. (laughs) I am carrying on a great project. Oh, that was better. And cannot go down. 
It's not just a project. It's not just a good project. It is a great project that Nehemiah is all about. Here's what he's saying. What I'm doing here in Jerusalem, what I'm here doing here on the wall, even if Sanballat and Geshem had good intentions for the trip and meeting at Caribou in Ono, I take a latte, um, even if it was a good intention, I'm not coming down because there's something better than I'm about in building this wall right now. And here's what I know, and here's where it gets personal. You can relate to Nehemiah because every day you are bombarded with things that you need to make choices about. You are invited places, you are asked to register for things. You are given, um, I said it already, invitations. You have opportunities. We all have things that are bombarding us every single day of the week. You have choices to make about your day, about your week, about your life. You have to make choices. You have to make decisions. You have to prioritize, don't you? And here's where it's hard because it's not as easy as what you think. Here's where that is hard. That almost every single time, it's not a struggle between, hmm, good versus bad. Should I do the good thing or should I do the bad thing? It's not like, okay, it's a Thursday night. I could either go to PTO or rob a bank. I'm not sure what to do. Real tough decision, you know, good versus bad. When the alternative is sin, like, I don't know if we need a sermon for that, okay? You just say no to that. Here's why this is hard. Because most of the time, the decision is between good and good. So it's Thursday night. Do I go to the PTO meeting or my son's soccer game or my daughter's dance recital? Like, they're all good. What do you do? Oh, it depends which kid you like better, you know? No, no, that's not it. Um, do I leave my current job or do I take the new one? Neither one inherently is bad. What do I do? It's good versus good. Do I stay at home with the kids or do I take a job outside of the home? Neither one bad. What do I do? Do we move to a new house or do we stay in the old house? Do we enroll the kids in the next activity in the next season or do we as a family take a break? In all of these examples, and there is many, many more, I just don't have time to to mention them all because you're already thinking of something more than likely that's good versus good and you're struggling with. In all of these examples, it's not good versus good. I mean, good versus bad, it's good versus good. So here's something you need to realize though. Number two fill in for today. Even good things can become a distraction if they keep us from great things. Even good things can become a distraction if They keep you from doing great things. Now, Nehemiah called the building project he was leading a great project. Why? 
did he call it great? Because I think if we define or look at that, it'll help us clarify a little bit about what defines a great project. Well, let's go back to the beginning of Nehemiah's uh, account for a moment. Um, I mentioned this earlier, but just to review, Nehemiah was a cupbearer, which is way too simplistic to say wine taster. Um, What he did was he did test the wine or the drink that the king would receive to make sure that there was nothing bad in it that could hurt the king. And as you kind of might imagine, the person that you identified as your cupbearer is someone that you had to trust with your life. And so Artaxerxes and Nehemiah had a really good relationship. And do you think it's helpful or not helpful to be good friends with the king? Dumb question, right? It's really, really helpful. Um, Nehemiah had a cush job. Um, He uh, had wealth. He had influence. He had power. He had everything that most of us would like to get out of life, at least part of it, right? But then there came this project that ultimately God led Nehemiah to think about. That is, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And he, Nehemiah, had a choice. Do I stay in my cush job and enjoy the wealth, power, and prestige that I currently have? Or, at least in this case for Nehemiah, do I follow God's will and purpose for my life, which God made very, very clear to him, that is to go lead the rebuilding of the walls, even though it'll mean the harder path. Nehemiah called this project a great project for one simple reason. Building the wall was pursuing God's will and purpose for his life. First and foremost. And and there's going to be some things we're going to talk about today that hopefully will clarify and get you to where you need to be in your thought process. This next statement is one of them. A great project, how do you define it? Well, I think it circles around this. A great project is pursuing God's purpose and will for your life. Now, wouldn't it be nice if God just like told you in your ear that you should go build a wall? Like that would be easy And hard at the same time, because you better go do it then, right? But in general, what we're talking about when it comes to something great, a great project is pursuing God's purpose and will in your life above all else. It doesn't mean you can't have good projects. It it doesn't mean that you can't pursue good things. It just means that the center of your life, the focal point, is pursuing God's purpose in your life. So, Here's the question that you need to ask yourself, and I did this week. What's your great project? And I'm not going to tell you what yours is, but I'm going to help you think about it a little bit. What's the project? What's the focus? What's the main thing in your life that no matter what other things could come in your way, you're not going to come down from there because you are about a great project and I will not come down from that thing, that work in this season of life that you're in. If you've never asked yourself a question like this, you need to. 
Because when you find the answer to that question in your life and in the season that you're in right now, it will help you know what is a distraction and what is not. When you know what your great project is, decisions for the calendar, for your focus become clearer, not always easy, but clearer because what you're going to prioritize above all else is the great project. So what's your great project, parents? As a parent, what are you trying to build? Now, I know there are a lot of good answers to that question. I want my kids to be focused, to be healthy. I want my, my kids to enjoy their time at home. Um, have, have you ever heard someone say this? And if you've said this, it's okay, because it, it is a good project, okay? But like, I just, I want my kids to have it better than I had growing up. I want to give them more than what I had. Have you ever heard that? If you said that, please raise your hand. No, don't. You don't have to. It's, it's not, it's a good project. You don't need to be embarrassed of it. But what I will say is that it's not a great project. It's a good project. It's not a great project. What do you, Christian parents, want most for your kids? Above all else. That, I would think, when they die someday, they will be in heaven with their Savior. That's your great project. And the focus of your family and your marriage doesn't mean you don't do good things and you don't go after good projects doesn't mean that life is no longer busy anymore because I'm about a great project. No, it just means that we look through our lives through the filter of the great project. Um, what's your great project at work, working people? To get into management. That's a good project. And if you are looking to get there, let me know. I will pray for you for that because it is a good project. It's a good thing. Nothing wrong with that. I'd like to get a bigger bonus. And I've got some really cool things I'd like to do for the family and things with that. Like, that's a good project. Do that. That's awesome. I'd like to help grow my company bigger. Good project. I hope you do. Because we need more Christian business leaders out into the world. That's a good project. Let's pray for that. But let me tell you, none of those are great projects. They're good projects. Keep doing that. It's not the greatest project. A great project is, how can I, in the confines that I might have in the working world, to make a kingdom impact both at work and how I interact and or lead? And how do I position my job so that it's a blessing to the family and a tool for the family, but it's not my identity. It's not who I am. It's something I do. That's a great project. What's your great project? What's the great project that God has given for you right now as a student? There's a lot of good projects you could work on. What's the great one? What's the great project that you can be about as a single person? You know, 
The choices that you make now, single people, will have an effect on you later in life, relationally, financially, all of those things. What's the great project that you're about right now as a single person? What's your great project that you're about right now as a married person? The work and time we put in early in our marriage will have fruits later in our marriage. What's your great project as a retired person? And there is one retired people. There's something there. You got to think about it. You got to pray about it. And what does that great project mean for the focus of my time, my resources, my schedule? What good projects do I need to say no to? Because right now, it's a curtain of distraction with Elvis behind it, and it's keeping me away from being able to accomplish what isn't good, but is great. I don't know. That's for you to decide. But here's something that might help you as you continue to think about it. If, if you don't have your thing or your two things or your three things yet, I was trying to think, okay, so how could I help them focus a little bit more on Sunday? Here's, here's our third fill-in. How about this? What if you started here? Prioritizing your life around the things that last longer than your life. Now, I don't know what that means for you in your season of life. But I do know is that if you think through your life through that filter, you're going to start to get to the great project that God has for you in this season of life. Isn't that what Nehemiah did? He could have thought all about his current situation in life, and that would have left him stay in Persia. But when he looked through his, at his life around things that were going to last longer than his life, he, he followed God's will for him. And for that season, it was building that wall. Now, I love it because Jesus did this first, didn't he? Think of what it meant for Jesus to come to earth. So we've got God Almighty. He decides to put skin and bone on, which like for us is all we've known. But for God, it's kind of a demotion, okay? Become a human being, all right? And he comes to this earth, and even then, he could have had whatever life he wanted. If he wanted to be a cupbearer for Artaxerxes, he could have done that. If he wanted to be Artaxerxes, not in a reincarnation type of way, but just like a king, he could have been king, right? He could have done whatever he wanted, but he didn't. In fact, he was so focused on the goal. And I, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And I think it's because um, focus is in my top five in, in strengths finders. Um, it's from Luke. It um, goes this way. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken to heaven, or that is to die in our place, to do the difficult work of giving himself for the world on the cross, as he the time approached, Jesus resolutely, all focused, all in, set out for Jerusalem where he was going to die. Horribly and painfully, right? What was his great project? Not to build a wall, but to build a way. Not to build a building, but to build a bridge. Jesus was here, came to earth, all about his primary project was to be the bridge for you, to be the way to eternity. And not only did his work save us and do the work 
of forgiveness for people like me that get things out of whack sometimes. Not only did it do the work for me, so that I am absolutely sure, just like you through faith, that I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. It also provided an amazing example, an amazing gospel motivation of thankfulness to do the exact same thing that God has called us to. That is, be about great projects. Now, I'd like to tell you that if you're about a great project, that things get easier. Uh, it's often the opposite. And um, the rest of our verses kind of share what happened for Nehemiah. We're going to go through these a little more quickly, obviously. Verse 5. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aide to me with that same message. Caribou, Kenrick, you know, or do you want to go Highway 50? You know, one of the two, but let's meet at Caribou, hug it out. And in his hand was an unsealed letter, And remember unsealed, I'm going to come back to that, in which was written. Next verse. It's reported among the nations. Like, people are saying, have it ever been said about you? Like, people are saying that. You know, people are saying. Like, who? If if they're just saying people are saying, here's a little tip. Don't worry about it. Ask, tell them to tell the person to talk to you. Because sometimes people is the person, right? Anyway, okay. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. Not just build a wall, but to revolt against Persia. And therefore, you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports that people are saying, you're about to become their king, verse 7 and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. So the report is that Nehemiah is having prophets say, there's a king in Judah. Now, I just want you to know, Nehemiah, that this report will get back to the king, Artaxerxes. So <laughs> come, let's meet together. Let's, let's figure this out. Now, why was it an unsealed letter? Most letters that were sent of importance were sealed. And they were sealed in part, more than one reason, but the one for now would be, so no one else can read it. Sanballat sent this letter unsealed because he wanted everyone to read it. And so everyone would kind of, you know, hear these rumors and read about these rumors, and then everyone would start talking about Nehemiah. Huh. So you're You're building a wall. You left being a cupbearer to build a wall. Hmm, that's a little weird. Why would you do that? I I think it's because you want to be king. Oh, you're gathering everyone together. They're even leaving their jobs, as Nehemiah, the book says, to to do this wall building. Hmm, that's kind of weird what you're deciding to do. There's only one explanation. You want to revolt. And so there were people talking about Nehemiah as he was about the great project. Verse 8. I sent them this reply. Nothing like what you are saying in that letter or that people are rumored to be saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. Verse 9. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking that their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. That's what they were up to. They were trying to frighten us, get us off the wall. 
But as they were trying to weaken our hands, I prayed, now, Lord, strengthen my hands. Could these lies have been an issue for Nehemiah? Yeah. Could word getting back to King Artaxerxes that Nehemiah was wanting to be king and revolt, could that have been damaging to Nehemiah's life? (laughs) Absolutely. Was Nehemiah going to let the chatter of people around him take him away from the great project that God had him to be about? Not a chance. He knew that none of this was true. So he prayerfully asked God to strengthen him, even though he was doing something, that is, building a wall that didn't make sense to many. I think these words are helpful. Because when you begin to be all about the great project that God has put in your life, that is prioritizing the eternal over the temporal, there's a good chance people are going to talk about you. There's a good chance that there's going to be chatter about your choices. Hmm. You're saving yourself for marriage, huh? That sounds like a lot of fun. It's probably, probably just can't get a girlfriend or a boyfriend anyway. Hmm. You're declining the promotion or taking the less prestigious job? (laughs) Yeah, you're just not sure you can handle it. Right. Hmm. You're not enrolling your kids on the team that travels all over the country, is gone every weekend and can never go to church? (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, you're not doing the best thing for your kid. I mean, he's got so much potential. Hmm. You're buying a smaller house or a cheaper car? So that you can give and be generous? Hmm. No one does that. Live for yourself. Get what you can afford and even more. There will be chatter when we begin to be about the great project that God has for you in your life. So what do you do about it? What if we did what Nehemiah did? I put it in my own words, number four. When you can't quiet the voices, quiet your heart instead. Nehemiah could not control what people were going to say about him, but that did not change the fact that he was going to continue to be about the great project. So he said, dear Lord, strengthen my hands. And as he prayed, God quieted his heart and gave him the strength that he needed. Last two verses, and then we're done. Verse 15. Here's what happened. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul, that was the name of a month, in 52 days, which, by the way, is an amazing accomplishment because the previous wall in Jerusalem took years to build. This one, slightly smaller, only took 52 days. Next verse. And when all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid And they lost their self-confidence because of what was accomplished by Nehemiah and the Israelites. They realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Now, here's the interesting thing. There was not a tangible miracle in the entire building of the wall. 
Like it was never like they went to bed one night, the next morning they woke up and a big chunk of the wall was built. There was never like thunderbolt from heaven and the foundation was completed. It was all done by people who were dedicated about the great project. It's just that God was in all of it and blessed it. There will likely not be any miracles when you're about your great project, like out of the normal, out of the realm miracles. But here's what I can tell you. God will be in it and God will bless it. So I'm carrying on a great project. I cannot go down. What is it for you? I don't know. Do you have one? Yes, you do. Let's figure it out. And let's not come down. Let's pray.